Matthew 28, verse 6, as it's shown over there, the angel said, He is not here. He is risen. I praise and thank God that you're here today. You could have chosen to be somewhere else, but you chose to be here, worshiping God, giving Him the glory this morning. Now, we have a full schedule this morning. That's why I ask us to come early. Not because we have a full schedule only, but because we really should come early, right? We, we should respect God enough to be here early, respect uh, the time that the other people are putting in so that you know, we appreciate them, all the preparations in the background, so to prepare our time of worship. You agree? So thank you for coming. Thank you for coming early. Uh, after the, the preaching this morning, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. After we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we will have baptisms. Some people are coming who are committing their life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. And then after that, we'll have more singing. You like singing? Yes. It, you know, it pumps us up, right? Karaoke. Uh, no, not karaoke. <laughs> I have to talk to that guy. <laughs> Remind me. I have to talk to him who his disciple is. And then after that, we're going to have lunch. I'm not going to share the menu with you, or, but or I already know the menu. And I assure you, it's a sumptuous lunch. Let's commit the time to the Lord this morning. Father God, we just want to thank you that we have the freedom to worship. Father, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, may it be something real to those who are here for the first time and even more real to those who already have a personal relationship with you. Father, as you have been speaking to me through this preparation, I pray that you will speak through me to preach your word to all the people here and even those who might be watching uh, later on in the web. Lord God, be pleased with our worship of you from beginning to end. As we ask that your holy angels encamp around this place, that we have the freedom to worship you without any distractions, Lord God. We commit to you every aspect, the technical uh, people in the background, Lord, and all the people who are here, as we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you see in front of you? A blank canvas, right? Now, you're talking to a little kid. What is most often their question? Why? Right? And then you explain, and then what is the next question? Why? And then you try to explain yet some more, and then... Why? Why? Why is the sky blue? Why is the sun hot? Why is the night dark? Why? After why? After why? Why? So, the title of my message for us this morning is simply, Why? Why? If we do not know the why, we will not appreciate, uh, we will not appreciate the what. If we do not know the why, we will not appreciate the how. But if we get the why firmly found, founded, then the what and the how will follow easily. You agree? So why? Why are we celebrating Resurrection Sunday? Some people call it Easter Sunday. Fine. But still my question remains. Why? Alright? So let me share with you a little background. Luke 23, 1-4. When the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, 
we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and crowds, I find no guilt in this man. A few days before, what we come to know as Palm Sunday, the crowd, perhaps the same crowd, or at least some of the people who were in that previous crowd are now part of this rabble. When Jesus came into Jerusalem sitting on a donkey, they were shouting, they were praising, they were worshiping him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the, robe, the name of the Lord. And they were removing the robes and they were throwing it on the street and they waved the palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And then he had his final meal with his disciples. And he told his disciples, take this bread, which is my body. Drink of this cup, which is my blood. Do it in remembrance for, of me. For there will come a time that I'm no longer going to share this meal with you. The next time will be in heaven. And then one of his own twelve betrayed him. Judas Iscariot betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And he told the Roman guards with the soldiers of the high priest, whoever I kiss, he is the Messiah. And he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, knowing everything that he was going to go through. His suffering, his crucifixion, the shame, the embarrassment. And he began to drop sweats of blood. And he was arrested. And he was brought before Pilate. And now what is the accusation? The whole body of them got up and brought him to Pilate. They began to accuse him saying, We found this man misleading our nation. Did he try to rebel against Rome? Did he try to upend Pilate and his rule over Jerusalem? No. And then, another accusation. Forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Did he pay his taxes? Somebody came to him, remember? And they challenged him. Should we pay taxes? To this corrupt Roman government? And what did Jesus say? Can you give me a denarii? Whose face is on the denarii? Caesar. And what did Jesus say? Given to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Given to God. What is God's? And then he told one of his disciples, Can you get that fish over there? And in its mouth, you will find a denarii. So the disciple goes and gets the fish. And true to the word of God, he opens the mouth of the fish. Lo and behold, there is a denarii. What did Jesus Christ do? I put it in my pocket. No. He said, put it. Give it as my tax. So did Jesus Christ pay his tax? Yes. But what is the accusation? He's rebelling against Rome. He's telling people not to take taxes, not to pay taxes. Was that the truth? No. But that was the accusation. He preached peace. He healed the sick. He made the blind see. He made the dead to rise. He never challenged the authority of the Roman government. As a matter of fact, he encouraged his disciples, his followers, to obey the government, even if it was corrupt, and to pay taxes, even if the tax collectors took a cup to fill their pockets. And then Pilate asked him this question. Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. 
in plain English, how will we respond? Yes. Right? Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. Is that the truth? Yes. So much so, Pilate accepted the answer of Jesus Christ. That Pilate himself said this in verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, What? I find no guilt. So did Pilate accept that the answer of Jesus Christ to the question, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus Christ said, It is as you say. What did Pilate arrive at? What was his decision? This man is innocent. I find no guilt in him. Agree? Why? Matthew 27, 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. While Jesus Christ is being tried by Pilate, Pilate's wife had a dream. And that dream is about whom? About Jesus. Husbands, sometimes, well, you should also listen to your wives, okay? They have something to say too. Okay. I need to disciple that guy again. <laughs> Look. God spoke to the wife of Pilate. Okay? That she could not sleep well. And this dream was about Jesus Christ. And she warned her husband, have nothing to do with that. What? Righteous man. When you are declared or when you are spoken of that you are righteous, what does that mean? You are upright. You speak the truth. You are a good man. But they are accusing him of all of these falsehoods. Why? Pilate himself said, I find no guilt in this man. Pilate's wife was warning him, don't, do, have, don't have anything to do with Jesus. Because in that dream I had last night, God told me, he is a righteous man. Right? Why? Luke 23, 13 to 16. Pilate summoned the chief priests and rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites people to rebellion. And behold, I have examined him before you. I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. Nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Pilate could not find anything wrong with Jesus. Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. In the process of his cross-examination, he discovers that Jesus is from Galilee. And he has a chance to listen to his wife who said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For God spoke to me in a dream. Oh, you're from Galilee. Therefore, you're under the jurisdiction of King Herod. Send this man to Herod. Let him take care of the problem. So they bring Jesus to King Herod. And King Herod asks him. He said, oh, this is the Christ. This is Jesus. They say he's the Christ. They say he's the Messiah. I have heard that he's made all kinds of miracles, etc., etc. So can I ask you this or that question? Jesus kept quiet. How about this question? Jesus did not reply. How about this other question? Jesus kept silent. And you know what King Herod arrived at? This man is just a crazy man. Look at him. He's crazy. 
Send him back. Send him back to whom? To Pilate. So you're getting a picture of what's going on? So Jesus Christ is now back at Pilate. Okay? He's now back at Pilate. And Pilate is again addressing the crowd. He says, You brought me this man who incites the people to rebellion. Behold, I have examined him before you. And I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges that you brought up against him. Nor has Herod. So Herod has not found anything guilty of the accusations of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you. Is Jesus Christ innocent before Pilate? Is Jesus Christ innocent before King Herod? Yes. So what do you do with that innocent man? You absolve him. You set him free. Right? Now, DNA nowadays, you know, you are accused, you are sentenced, you spend time in jail, right? Some of them, life imprisonment, but because of DNA, because of the overwhelming evidence that is discovered now through DNA, even if you've spent many years in prison, what happens? Oh, because the DNA evidence proves that you are innocent, you have to be you have to be set free. Right? Now, let's look at this again. Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man regarding the charges you made against him. Nor has Herod. So what? Nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him. Why? If he is innocent, why will you punish him? Well, after I punish him, I will release him anyway. Young people, children, if you are innocent and your parents decide to punish you, what is your first question? Why? What did I do? Why are you going to punish me? Why are you going to take away my cell phone? Why are you going to take away my night outs? Why are you going to take me the privilege from driving the car? Why? Oh, because you're innocent. Mom, if for that you're going to do that to me because I'm innocent, what more if I am guilty? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Does it make sense? I have found no guilt in this man, nor has Herod. Therefore, I will punish him. Anyway, after I punish him, I will release him. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. You release an innocent man. You make a judgment that this man is innocent. Then you release this man. You don't find the man innocent and then punish him. Simply because you're going to release him anyway. Pilate said, this man is innocent. His wife told her husband Pilate, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Herod finds him innocent. And there are other people who are otherwise. In Matthew 27, 22 to 24, Pilate then said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They said, Crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he had accomplished nothing, but that rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Before they were shouting, Hosanna. Now what are they shouting? Crucify him. Crucify him. Even if he is innocent, crucify him. We want blood. Pilate noticing that this is an out of control rabble. It is now becoming a riot. 
and of course because he wants to preserve the peace because if there is a riot Rome will hold him to account and maybe transfer him because the Bible says that he has been serving in what he calls Jerusalem to be a pit hole for 11 to 13 years what is next for him so what does he do the proverbial washing of hands he asked one of his men bring me the bowl bring me some water and what does he do he washes his hands and what does he say I am innocent of this man's blood you want to crucify him you want to put him to death despite my own examination and my judgment that he is an innocent man go ahead but I will have nothing to do with it your, his blood is on your hands see to that yourselves what did he say the first time he said I will punish him and then I will release him were the people content with that no they wanted Jesus Christ dead they could have easily killed Jesus Christ themselves but they wanted Jesus Christ on full display that's why they asked Rome to crucify him you see the Bible tells us that hanging on the cross you become a spectacle for people to see you'll be hung on the cross you'll be crucified and as the people walk by they will see you criminal so they wanted to punish him and the pilot wanted to release him afterward. The people could not be contained. They could not be pacified. They wanted blood. So what kind of punishment? Nathan, can you turn the light, light off? Let me show you what kind of punishment. I will punish him. Then I will release him. That is what Pilate wanted to do. But the crowd, some of them, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are now chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Why? He didn't do anything wrong. When he spoke, it was truth. Oh, I'll punish him, then I'll release him. Is that the kind of punishment that you and I should go through? We should. But Jesus Christ, the innocent one, the suffering servant, 
suffered all of that for speaking the truth, for telling people who he was, for healing the sick, for making the blind see, for bringing Lazarus back to life. You have the witness of Pilate. You have the witness of Pilate's wife. You have the witness, the testimony of King Herod. And you have some in legal parlance, you have some adverse witnesses. In a court of law, when you use the witness of your opponent to be your witness, that witness is called an adverse witness. Because that witness is from the other side. Now let's see. In Matthew 27, now the centurion and those who were with, were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. Did you see that depiction of the scourging, the putting on of the crown of thorns, and the nails on his hands and his feet? He didn't utter a word. It was the thief, one of the thieves, who kept rebuking him, saying, If you are God, why are we in the same boat? If you are God, spare us. And the centurion, who has probably killed so many criminals, and maybe even just one whip, would start crying and cursing. Jesus kept quiet. Like the sheep being brought to its shearers. When he was reviled, he reviled them not. That's why when his cousin, his first cousin, John the Baptist, saw him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This centurion, this head, it was his responsibility to see to it that the judgment was carried out completely. So he is an officer. And what did he say? Truly, this was the Son of God. In another passage in the book of Luke, now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. But it's too late. He had already been put to death. Of course, that's what the people thought, that they put him to death. But what did he say? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He gave up his spirit. He said, no one takes my life. I give it freely. And this centurion, this adverse witness, who observed everything, even at that point, at the death of Jesus, what did he say? This man is innocent. But more importantly, brothers and sisters, he began praising God. This pagan, this Roman centurion, when he encountered, when he saw for himself what they did to Jesus Christ, in all the accusations that were levied against him, Time and time again, he was pronounced innocent. Yet, he was put to death. When he saw everything that happened, what did he say? He began praising God. My friends, when you encounter Jesus Christ, I submit to you, you have no other reaction. You have no other response than to worship. Than to worship him for who he is. Truly, this man was the son of God. Truly, this man was innocent. And he began praising God. Why? Why did Jesus Christ have to go through all of this? Why? Do you know that God allowed this to happen as part of his plan for your salvation and mine? 
The Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, 53 verses 5 through 6. He was pierced through for our transgressions. When he, he kept hanging on there, and the sky was darkened, and the earth began to shake, they broke the knees of the criminal on the left. They broke the knees on the criminal on the right. And then when they came to Jesus in the middle, one of the centurions saw that he was dead. He's dead. We don't need to break his knees. Well, he was ordered, make sure. So what he did was he took his spear and pierced Jesus. The scholars say, between the fifth and sixth rib. With an angle going to the heart. And when he was pierced, water and blood flowed. For those of you in the medical field, you know that when water and blood mix, death has already occurred. He was what? Pierced through his hands, his feet. His side were pierced. For whom? For our transgressions. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know many of us. You know. Oh, oh that's just a small sin. That's just an infraction. That's just an iniquity. Oh the big things. Oh those are like mortal sins and stuff. That one you really get punished for. But what does Isaiah say? He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. Who is supposed to be chastened? Who is supposed to be disciplined according to Isaiah? We. The chastening for us, what happened? Fell on him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. All of us. To what? To fall on him. Why? Why did Jesus go through all of that? Why did Jesus have to suffer and die? My friends, we should be the one to be suffering what he went through. We should be the one to die the death that he went through. But what did God do? Why Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, He made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. He knew no sin. He was innocent of the crimes that were accused him of. Yet they crucified him. He knew no sin. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why? Because Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We owe God something and somebody has to pay. So God determined that since all of us are sinners, according to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God determined that since we cannot pay for our own sins, He would make His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, Represent all of our sins on his body, on his son Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. My friends, you cannot work for salvation. You cannot be good enough to deserve salvation. You cannot pay for your salvation. You cannot do anything for your salvation. Because salvation is a free gift. It's the free gift of eternal life. It is only made free, available to us, because Jesus Christ 
paid for it. So it's not true when you hear that salvation is free. Because Jesus Christ paid for it. The gift of salvation is free. Because Jesus Christ paid for it. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is not in a religion. It is not in CCF. It is not in a group. It is only in. It is only in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ Jesus, this verse applies to you. You have eternal life if you are in Christ Jesus. The reverse is also true. If you are not in Christ Jesus, you cannot claim to have eternal life. Do you see the sequence? The wages, plural, of sin, singular, is death. But, I pray, you know, I praise God for but. Sometimes when it's my kids who say but, I kind of, what do you mean but? But this but I love. Because in the first place, I'm guilty and I'm deserving of death. But, 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 the free gift of God. Have you ever received a gift that is not free? Unless, of course, the giver puts the receipt inside, you know, trying to communicate that, you know, when it's your turn to give me a gift, you know, at least give me something of equal or greater value, right? When you, when you, when you, when you give a gift, you want to show appreciation to the person. That's why you give a gift. In this, in this instance, in this case, God is giving us a free gift. We cannot pay for it. We cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. God gives it freely. And what is that free gift? That free gift is what? Eternal life. And where can you and I find eternal life? In. And only in Christ Jesus. It can be found in and only in Christ Jesus. That's why when he still had time with his disciples, when he said, you know the way, Thomas asked him. Thomas asked him. Uh, Bogi, I think there's something wrong. Thomas asked him. We don't know the way. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You see, when things are important, when things are important, there is another force working against it. You and I should be clear. You and I should be mindful that there is spiritual warfare going on. So let's not be taken aback why these things are happening. You know, why would a brand new mic act up? Right? There is warfare going on. Because the devil doesn't want the gospel to be preached. The devil doesn't want people to know why. The devil doesn't want you and I to realize why Jesus Christ so that you and I would not be mindful of the what and the how. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. In Christ Jesus. This, my friends, is the good news. We come to know of it, we call it the gospel. The gospel is simply good news. 
What is the good news? According to Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, For I received to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. What do you usually do to someone who is dead? Usually. You bury him. You know, cremation and all that stuff. They only came much more in the present. In the past, you would bury them. So, to prove that Jesus Christ indeed died according to the scriptures, what did they do? Verse 4, and that he was buried. Right? Now, if Jesus Christ is just a man, if Jesus Christ is not whom what he told us to be, that he is the Son of God, right? Then the second half of verse 4 would not happen because he died on the cross. Yes? And then what happened? They took his body down from the cross. They wrapped it, having put about 100 pounds of spices. They wrapped it and they put it in a brand new tomb, a rich man's tomb, which was already also prophesied in the Bible. And then they rolled a big stone and then they sealed it with the Roman seal. So that nobody, but nobody, would mess around with that Roman seal. But then what happened? And he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel is simply that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Mind you, died for our sins. It's not just that Jesus died. Jose Rizal died. But Jose Rizal did not die for our sins. Jose Rizal is the national hero of the Philippines. He died. But he did not die for our sins. Only Jesus Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, which I showed you in Isaiah 53. And then they buried him. But then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. On the third day he rose again. But how do I know? Because he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and to the twelve. We know that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. That he rose again on the third day. Just as he promised. Why? Because there were witnesses. And those witnesses bore truth to the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And that word. That witness continued to spread from generation to generation to generation. And many of us are beneficiaries of that witness. How do we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Luke 21, Luke 24, 1 to 4. On the first day of the week, for them the first day of the week is Sunday. Their Sabbath is Saturday. So Sunday is the first day of the week. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. And they found the, sto the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothes. Now remember, Jesus Christ was buried in a brand new tomb. The Romans, at the admonition of the high priest and the religious elect of the time, said, you have to put a guard. Because his followers might come and steal the body away 
and say, look, Jesus Christ is risen. So they rolled a big stone, they put a Roman seal, and they put a guard to guard the place so that his disciples would not steal his body. But there was an earthquake. And the stone rolled away. And the body of Jesus was no longer there. They did not find the body. They didn't find the body. And then two men, two angels were there in dazzling clothes. No, they did not use tide. They were angels, messengers of God. Messengers of God. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground and the men said, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? He's not here. He has risen. That's why the cross. We don't have anyone hanging on the cross. Because the cross speaks of Good Friday. When they punished him, when they crucified him, when they killed him. But the cross is empty. The tomb is empty because he has risen. He is not here. He has risen. Friends, the most important celebration is not Good Friday. The most important celebration is Resurrection Sunday. Why? Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. You have sat down there listening to me for a little over 30 minutes. Useless. Just wait for the food and then go home. Your faith is in vain. You have believed a hoax. You have been tricked that this person who healed the sick, who made the blind to see, who raised Lazarus from the death, from the dead, who told his disciples, don't fish here, fish here, and they could not contain the nets. Everything that Jesus Christ said about him and about you is false. Your faith, your belief is all in vain. Moreover, we have even, we even found to be false witnesses of God. So you can stone me. You can accuse me of being a false witness of God. If there is no resurrection from the dead. If Jesus was not raised from the dead. Moreover, we have been found false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. If Christ is not raised from the dead, he is but a human being. If Christ is but a human being, he is as guilty as sin and you and I are. If Christ is a human being, guilty of sin just as you and I are, his blood, his suffering, his death is not a, an atonement for your sin and mine because he should die for his sins as well. But he died. And after three days, he rose again 
just as he promised. My friends, the tomb is empty. But is your heart full with Jesus? The empty tomb means nothing if your heart is not filled with Jesus. Why? Why did God go through all of this? Why did Jesus Christ have to do all of that? Why? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But God the Father does not want any one of us to spend the rest of our eternity separated from him because of our sin. So God made a provision. He determined that he would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take the penalty of your sin and mine so that we would not perish and instead receive eternal life. God is motivated by love. God doesn't want any of you, any of us, to perish. We deserve to pay for our sins. That's justice. When we don't get to pay for our sin, that is mercy. But when we receive something that we are not deserving of, that is called grace. That's how God operates. Grace. It is the grace of God that allows you and I to be saved because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. For God so loved, and you can put your name right there. For God so loved, put your name, that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus. That if, put your name, believes in Jesus, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. You see, in verse 17 it says, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus Christ was judged. He was found to be innocent. Nonetheless, they crucified him. Why? Because sin had to be paid for. Whose sin? My sin. Our sin had to be paid for. And all you and I need to do is to accept Jesus Christ into our heart. The tomb is empty. I hope my heart is filled with Jesus. Because without Jesus Christ, I'm st I still stand guilty as charged. And I remain unregenerated. My sins remain unforgiven. I have to make a choice. Why? Why do I need to do something? You and I need to do something because it is an expression of what we believe in. How? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is. The word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So what is necessary? What are the two components that we need to do to be saved? First, we must confess. To confess means to agree. And how do we confess? We confess with our mouth. We confess with our mouth what? Jesus as Lord. We have to come to that point 
that we say, I agree with God that I'm a sinner. I agree with God that Jesus Christ paid for my sin. And I agree with God that from now on, Jesus Christ is not only going to be my Savior, He is going to be the Lord and Master of my life. What is the other thing? Believe. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And if you do both, what will happen? You will be saved. Where is this, all of this going to come from? From your heart. I cannot convince you of anything. You have to make that decision. And if the Lord speaks to your heart, you can confess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. But you must believe that Jesus Christ is whom he says he is. That he is the only begotten son of God. That he lived a sinless life. That he is your Messiah, the Savior of your soul. That by his death, your sins are paid for. And by his life, you have eternal life as well. Have you come to that point? That you have confessed Jesus Christ. To be your Lord. Have you come to that point that you really believe that God raised him from the dead, that he is the Son of God? Have you believed it in your heart? Not just your mind. A lot of people believe this truth in their mind, but their heart is still empty. The tomb is empty. My heart is empty. My mind is full. Beloved, don't do that. The tomb is empty. And if your heart is still empty, you can have Jesus Christ fill your heart right here, right now. Why? Why? Because Jesus died and rose again for you so that you could live for him. We are about to celebrate one of two ordinances that the Lord God commanded us to commemorate. It is the Lord's table. We take a piece of bread, we take a cup of juice, representing the body and blood of Jesus. But the warning of scripture is this, that we do not partake in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? If you already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are free to partake. If you do not have a personal re relationship with Jesus Christ yet, inhibit yourself. Because the Bible tells us that those who did that, some of them got sick and some of them even died. So the Lord's table is a serious matter before God. If you already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but you are not willing to give up any known sin in your life, inhibit yourself as well. So you're there thinking, uh-oh, I'm not going to be able to partake. I have good news for you. You see, the cross is empty. You can partake. One, if you accept Jesus Christ right here, right now. Two, if you commit to follow Jesus all the days of your life. And you are willing to give up any and all known sin. Is that you this morning? With every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to extend an invitation for those of you first who may not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
If you're here this morning and you want to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and want to express your belief that He rose again from the dead, then pray from your heart. Accept Him. Doesn't matter what words you use. He knows what is in your heart. This is a prayer that I prayed many, many years ago. And perhaps this is the same prayer you'd like to pray. There is no magic in the prayer. There is nothing in the prayer. Because it is your expression of faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So if you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ this morning, then just say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I need you to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying for all of my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you rose again from the dead. And I open the door of my heart and I invite you to come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Will you help me with your Holy Spirit to be the kind of follower that you want me to be. Friend, if you prayed that prayer just now, based on the promise of Scripture, if you receive Jesus Christ by faith, then the Bible declares you to be a child of God. And like a newborn child, you need to learn how to grow. If you're here this morning, and you have known sin that you're not willing to give up, please, I encourage you, confess that to God. Ask for His power so that you can be victorious over that sin. Just tell God, God, I can't get rid of this sin. I really need your help. Will you forgive me? First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, not only to forgive us of our sins, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God Almighty, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's table this morning, it is my prayer that all of us here who are going to partake understand why. Why Jesus Christ died why he rose again, and why we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. We celebrate it, Lord, in obedience to your command. And we thank you, Lord God, that we can preach your word and the gospel freely in the power of the Holy Spirit as we thank you for the resurrected Christ in whose name we pray all of these things. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's give God the glory this morning. All right, as I mentioned, the bread and the juice are merely elements. The Bible does not teach that they literally change into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So if you are going to partake of the Lord's Supper, will you come here, get a piece of bread, get a cup of juice, return to your seat, and we will all partake together. Speak to the Lord. He might be speaking to you. And do not allow the Lord's table to be taken lightly or flippantly. It is a serious matter before God. Anyone else? Taking the bread upon our hand, let us pray. God, you said that this is your body, which will be given up for us. You yourself bore our sins on the body, on your body, on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the punishment 
that you took upon your body on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to realize your great sacrifice. Make it, Lord God, a deterrent for us every time we are tempted to fall into sin. We remember you, Lord Jesus, today. Let's all partake. Taking the cup of juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. Let us pray. God Almighty, you said that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for our sins. And Jesus, you willingly went to the cross. You shed your blood so that our sins could be forgiven. You carried all of our sins, Lord God, to that cross. And you died in our place. Allow us, Lord, to hate sin the way you hate sin. To be reminded of the suffering that you went through just to forgive us of our sins. Thank you also, Lord God, that we can celebrate that because of your sacrifice, all of our sins have been forgiven. Allow us, Lord, to use your death, your life, your body, your blood as a deterrent to hate sin as much as you hate sin. Thank you also for the forgiveness that we have in your shed blood, the blood you shed at Calvary. Thank you, Lord God, that we can celebrate your goodness and faithfulness until the day you return. And we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sin, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And we give you glory, thanks, and thanksgiving for your sacrifice, that through your death we can live forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake.